Welcome to the world of high interest rates. My name is Andrew Stotson, and in this video, I'm going to talk to you about how interest rates on the long end of the yield curve could go to 6%, and also how the Fed has been so successful at raising long-term rates, and that tells us that a recession is coming. In addition, I'll introduce you to two significant economists who matter when this issue comes up about interest rates. So let's go into this research. It's actually taken me a while to get this, and I'm happy to bring this out. The key points are the world yield curve inversion is falling because of rising long-term rates. That's the main point. Long-term rates are rising, and it's reducing the yield curve inversions fastest in developed markets, Americas, and developed markets, Europe. Rates are high across emerging markets and they're crushingly high in frontier markets and they're very low in Asia. France and Germany short-term rates continue to rise as they follow the Fed and developed market countries have passed peak yield curve inversion due to this rising long-term rate. So the inverted yield curve may be over. It is definitely reducing its inversion. And then rates are low in China, which together with India, never inverted. Part of the reason why they never inverted was because if you're not a significant reserve currency in the world, like the US dollar or the euro, the problem is, is that if you print money to stimulate your domestic economy, you put downward pressure on your currency and that can be disastrous. Now, this particular chart I want to show is looking at the long-term yield of government bonds since 1963. And I'm going to be talking a bit more about the long-term U.S. government bond in this. But what we can see from this is that the average long-term government bond yield for 1978 to 1989 was about 10%. That was a very high period because of high inflation. From 1990 to 2007, just before the 2008 financial crisis, it was averaging at 5.8%, so let's say about 6%. And then 2008 to 2021, it was averaging about 2.4%, incredibly low in the scheme of things. So now I want to introduce one of the two economists that I'll talk briefly about because they're significant in how we figure out how this works. Irving Fisher was one of the earliest neoclassical economists. He lived from 1867 to 1947, and he was described as the greatest economist the United States has ever produced. Now, his reputation during his lifetime, unfortunately, was irreparably harmed by his public statement just nine days before the Wall Street crash of 1929. And he said that that stock market had reached a permanently high plateau disastrous words for him. Now, why am I talking about him? Well, I read his book many years ago called The Theory of Interest. He published it, the full thing in 1930. And it sums up his life experience in capital markets, budgeting, credit markets, and the like. Main thing also is inflation and time value of money. Let's just review some core concepts. First was time preference. And that's the idea that people generally prefer to have goods and services sooner rather than later. So their preference is the current time. Then there's the idea of the real interest rate. The real interest rate adjusts for the effects of inflation, allowing for a more accurate evaluation of purchasing power of money over time. Then there was the Fisher equation. This is the one that 
we all use nowadays. And that relates nominal interest rates to real interest rates and inflation. And it's expressed as the nominal rate is equal to the real interest rate plus the inflation rate. In other words, you're getting compensated for two things. When we look at the U.S. government bond, which we can consider the risk-free rate, then we can say that that nominal rate is comprised of our expectation of future interest rates or what should be earned on a real basis. In other words, the productivity of the economy and the like. And it should have an inflation component in it where we're compensated for higher inflation. So if interest rates go up, it means that people are either expecting higher real interest rates or they're expecting higher inflation rate or both. And the Fisher effect suggests that nominal interest rates adjust in response to expected changes in inflation. What he's arguing in that case is that it's inflation that's really adjusting the most, not the real rate. In other words, if people anticipate higher inflation, nominal rates are going to rise to compensate. Now, the next person I want to introduce you to is Jeremy Siegel, who wrote the book Stocks for the Long Run. He was born in 1945. He's a professor of finance at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And he comments extensively on the economy and financial markets. And he wrote two books, but the most prominent one that I've been reading for years as it keeps coming out in new editions is Stocks for the Long Run. And it's the definitive guide to financial markets, market returns, and long-term investment strategies. In fact, I have it right here. I keep it right at my desk side because there's just so much valuable information. But one of the big things that we can get from his data is the history of real return on long-term U.S. government bonds. So here we can see from the post-revolutionary war period, that's 1802 to 2021, meaning the life of America, basically, you can see that the long-term government bond yield was about 5%. That is what we would call the nominal yield. The average inflation rate over the 219 years was about 1.4%, meaning you're earning a real return of about 36 Now, some people may say, well, come on, we shouldn't be looking at the period before 1900. It's just a whole different world. Okay, let's move into the post-World War II period. That's 75 years from 1946 to 2021. What do we find? The government bond yield wasn't 5%. It was actually 5.8%. And the inflation, if you subtract inflation, inflation was very high. It wasn't 1.4, it was 3.7. And therefore, you get a real return of about 2%. So if we then look at much more recent, the past 21 years, we'll see that long-term government bond yields went up even higher to 7%. And the inflation premium, though, came down from 3.7 down to 2.3, which meant a real return of about 46 So what does all this mean? Well, we can make a forecast, and my forecast basically is that I expect the long-term U.S. government bond yields to be at 6%. Right now, it's about 4.3 or something like that. And if we subtract what I think will be higher inflation than the past 21 years, the past 21 years, the inflation premium was 2.3%. I'm going to say 3%. That leaves us with a real return of about 3%. And so, again, 3% inflation and 3% real rate of return. I believe that's what people are going to be expecting to get from government bond yields. That means that the long-term government bond yield could rise from the 4.3 or so where it is right now up to 6%. Of course, that will be devastating for the economy and it will also be devastating over time for the budget 
for the U.S. government, which has to pay the interest on that. So I just want to highlight a couple things that I see. First thing around the world with interest rates, again, there's almost 200 pages of this. So I highly recommend you download it and get the PDF and then you can go through it. It's really best if you sit and read it on iPad or something like that because you can scan through it. But what we can see is the GDP of the world is about 94 trillion US dollars. And the three-month yield of all countries in the world is 5.4%. Now, just keep in mind, I'm calculating this by taking the GDP of every country that has consistent disclosure on government bond yields, and I'm then weighting each country's interest rate by their GDP. And that gets me to 5.4% for three-month yields. Now, in developed markets, it's much lower at about 44 because they lowered interest rates and kept them at zero for many years in America. And that's a huge part of the developed world. Developed world accounts for about $54.6 trillion. And then there's emerging markets where instead of 4.4, which developed markets are, emerging markets, short-term interest rates are at 6.9. So much, much higher in emerging markets. What's interesting about emerging markets is that they never brought the interest rate down so low as the U.S. Now, if we look at the one-year government bond yield and look at the two groupings, developed market, it's 4.3, and emerging markets, it's 6.2. And finally, the 10-year is down, in other words, inverted at 3.8% for the developed markets, and it's 5.9% for emerging markets, meaning a slight inversion. So that gives you a picture there. I just want to jump through a couple of other things here. Let me just skip through and look at the rate progression. And what we can see here is three months rates have been rising recently in emerging markets. And they've been flat in developed markets. And what that tells me is that the tightening probably is done in the developed markets, but maybe there's more tightening to come for emerging markets. Remember that long-term emerging market rates are still very high. But that's three months, and I'm going to skip ahead from the three months, and I'm going to look at the 10-year. And here I'm looking at the 10-year, and what I see on this is that both emerging and developed market 10-year bonds, the rates on these have started to rise in September, and I know they're continuing up in October. The point is that the Fed has been successful. What have they been successful with? They've been pushing up short-term rates to slow down the economy. And by pushing up short-term rates, they're trying to push up long-term rates with the objective that the market is determining what those long-term rates are. And as the market determines higher and higher long-term rates, that ultimately is slowing down the economy. Now, why would the market be desiring to earn a higher and higher long-term rate on U.S. government bonds? Mainly because expectations on inflation have risen. And that is a main component that I would say has changed over time. So though the Fed has raised interest rates to try to tame inflation, I would argue that the inflation premium has, is actually rising in the long-term government bond yield. So to sum this up, Fed success, hooray, the Fed has been successful at causing long-term rates to rise. And this is almost always a sign of recession. One last thing I would say when I leave this is just that my expectation is by the end of 2023 or maybe the latest, the end of 2020, 
the first quarter of 2024, I expect that we move into a pretty significant recession in the U.S. And if the U.S. goes in recession, the world is in recession. And I expect that the Fed is going to reduce interest rates back to zero when that happens. The question then becomes, how much will that influence the long-term rate? I would argue it's going to be much harder in the future for the Fed to bring down long-term rates because everybody knows the amount of debt that they're sitting on. My name is Andrew Stotz, and I thank you for listening to this. Have a great day.